Hello folks and welcome to the Alforn podcast. Sponsored by Betfred and produced by Feed Ignite. This is season 2, episode 18 with Andy Mitten. This is a great episode folks. Andy is um, a well-known journalist, author and the creator of um, the iconic United We Stand fanzine for Manchester United, uh, which he created in 1989. We have a great chat about Manchester United, of course, football, the impact social media has had on football, his time as as a journalist and and working through this pandemic. He's actually... um, He's been travelling to a lot of the stadiums. He's got his press passes, so um, it's uh, been been a pretty uh, wild year for for Andy with regards to um, to his work, which is fantastic, and it's great to see. So I'm very happy for him. Andy is well respected in the footballing world, uh, the football journalism world. He's um, a really nice guy. I uh, met him a couple of years ago outside Old Trafford and uh, he was just a thorough gentleman and he spends his time obviously between Manchester and Barcelona so um, uh, but yeah it was a great one to um, to do and I, I, I really wanted to get Andy on for a long time so I'm very happy I managed to do that and I really hope you enjoy this one hope all is well hope everyone's getting through the this pandemic okay I think we're we're nearly there vaccines are coming in fast so yeah it's good it's good. Hopefully, by the summertime, there'll be a lot more positivity around the world. Hopefully. But um, yeah, season two, episode 18 of the Al Foreign Podcast with Andy Mitten. Enjoy, folks. Game on. Get £30 in free bets from Betfred when you sign up and stake a tenner. Football, racing, rugby, boxing. Betfred have markets available on all of the biggest matches, races, fights and more. Download the Betfred app from the App Store or Google Play Store or sign up through betfred.com. Game on! 18 plus BeGambleAware.org UK and Northern Ireland only. First sports bet of £10 and over in one transaction. Settled in 60 days. Odds evens, brackets 2.0 and over. £30 free bet paid within 10 hours of bet settlement. 7 day expiry. Payment restrictions apply. SMS validation may be required. Full terms and conditions apply. Please gamble responsibly. I'm delighted to be joined by an absolute legend and Andy Mitten. When, when I think of Andy Mitten, I think of, you know, the first kind of proper kind of fan that gave gave the fans voices, you know, for for the for the club with Manchester United. And um I think you we have a lot of respect for you. You're you're an author, a journalist, you have your own podcast, the United We Stand podcast, and of course the fan the fanzine since uh, nineteen eighty nine. How are things for you, Andy? Because I know you're still kind of Traveling around, you're still kind of going to the games and reporting on them. How? What's obviously the contrast and difference between now and say a year ago when you were at the Manchester Derby, which was the last uh, game at Old Trafford with fans? I was, and a year ago, I sensed that things were starting to close down. So, mm. the type of journalism I do is I like to do stuff face to face. So, yeah, I, I crammed in quite a bit in those last few weeks before the lockdown. Yeah. I went to to Germany to do a load of writing there um, in Cologne, in Dortmund. Um, 442 Magazine sent me to Bucharest to do a piece on the rivalry between Stauer Bucharest and Stauer Bucharest, two, two, two <laughs> clubs that used to be one. And that was basically me walking up to a group of ultras outside the ground and my mm. Romanian photographer saying, don't, don't go up to them, be careful. And me thinking, yeah. this is how I do my job. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing that there were police nearby and I thought, they're not just going to fill me in, these lads. And I went up to them, gambling on a couple of them talking English because I can't speak Romanian. And, and they were fine with me. And I asked them. And then later on that day, I went to see the guy who'd saved all the penalties in the European Cup final for Stowell Bucharest. And... They won it, they beat Barcelona. So it was mm. a good job. I had a good photographer. We got really stuck into the mix. I yeah. met some pretty run people. I met some fascinating people. I'd, I'd been in Bruges for the final United away game. And then I was in Lask. So Lask yes, was all yeah. closed down. And my wife said to me on the, the Thursday morning, 
are you, are you really sure you should be going here? Yeah. And I said, well, I'm allowed to go and I've got to go and work. And I, I flew to Austria and when I landed, uh, met some United fans there. They were pleased because the club had just said they were giving them a refund back mm. on the trip. So yeah. they were buzzing off that. And then I carried on to Linz where the game was. I was allowed in the game because uh, I had a press accreditation. Mm. And there were about 100 United fans who'd made it there. And I, and I knew basically all of them. <laughs> so I went and had a, a drink before the game with them. They had beer, I had water or coffee. And try to help them. Um, I felt I'm a fan like they are. I felt a bit guilty because I was I knew I was going to be allowed into the game. And these these were people who travelled from from everywhere. Yeah, from the top of Norway, Aladdin Noel Finno from south of Dublin, and the people mm. who go on European trips and they ended up watching little bits of the game through fences and then. Yeah. Um, Lask hooligans approached them and said we want to fight with you and then they sort of looked them up and down and thought no we can't fight with you because you're too old <laughs> and then I, I stayed the night in, in Linsk a couple of United fans in the hotel some of them were absolutely uh, inebriated <laughs> <laughs> and then I got a train to Vienna and then my wife said state of emergency now get back here yeah. now Yeah. so I got back and then life changed as it did for for everybody. Yeah. For United We Stand, we could no longer sell the mags at the ground. Yeah. So that was difficult for us because mm. it's a fanzine. Yeah. What we got was a surge of support from readers who subscribed. Mm. And we needed that because we didn't have any news agents to sell it out either. My job changed a lot. I couldn't go out and do the type of pieces that I was telling you about. Yeah. Getting in, in and among people, that sort of journalism, which takes a lot of time. But then when restrictions were eased, I was able to travel as a journalist and still go yeah. to matches, not to do the sort of fan stuff I do, you know, the behind the scenes, the, yeah. the dirty stuff, the heavy stuff with, you know, ultras or whatever. Yeah. But more as a conventional journalist, whether it was for writing or, or for TV. Yeah. And TV want you at the stadium. They just do. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've interviewed lots of players after games. I've interviewed lots of managers and I've done a lot more of that. So my job has changed a little bit. So I ended yeah. up doing the, the full Champions League in Lisbon, just in a hotel by myself for 11 nights, going to all the games. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah, on Interviewing your people. And, and, and it's interesting, and it's also interesting working for a rights holder. They're the people who pay millions to cover the games. So they get yeah. access. So normally as a, as a written journalist, I'm in the mix zone, and it's a bit of a scrum, and Fred, Fred, come here. You, 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 you sort of... <laughs> You're talking to the lads you know or the people who trust you to talk yeah. to you. When you're working for the writers holders, somebody from UEFA comes up to you and says, who would you like to speak to? And you're like, um, could I have uh, Mr. Guardiola, please? And can I have, uh, I'll have Mr. Dembele as well. And and then bring them to you. And it's, <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking like, yeah, this is, this is how the other half live. <laughs> and, and I've done that quite a lot. You know, last week I interviewed Pochettino and... And Herrera after the, yeah. the Barca PSG Barca game. game yeah. So it's good. I mean, I, I like it, but I'm, I'm a writer first and foremost. Mm. And there's lots of restrictions. You know, countries change the rules all the time. One minute you can go to Germany, the next minute you can't go to Germany. Mm. I've been blocked going to some places. Then again, I think I was the only British journalist in Paris for the PSG game uh, and Istanbul. Yeah, yeah. And I, I went into a room there and, and Ollie saw me and he's like, what are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> and I'm like, it is like laughing at me. I'm thinking, never mind me. Your team have just lost, and that was a bag of shit. But you've got to be professional. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair to him, in Paris, uh, when the room was full of French journalists, I was up for like getting him on the desk and having a sing song. <laughs> But he's the manager of Manchester United and he's got to be professional. Yeah, and he was yeah. just like, yeah, I've got a big game at the weekend. Obviously, it's good to get a result in, in <laughs> Paris. I'm not going to do an impression. That, that's your job. <laughs> so, I mean, carried on working. I've needed to. I saw last week, um, I, was in, I was in Seville yeah. to cover a game and, and somebody just said, you shouldn't be there. And I'm like, I'm doing my job. I'm yeah. doing my job legally. 
I'm, I'm doing my job to earn money to support if, a family. If, absolutely. If you're told you can be there and oh, yeah. you can earn money, absolutely. You've, you've said how your job has changed and it's like, it's the same for everyone else. We've all had to adapt. I mean, I'm this, I'm doing, this is my gigs now. My gigs are through this with 200, 250 people um, all in my little private room and I'm there doing this gig and I can't hear the laughs, but that's, we all have to adapt in these times, you know? Well, we, we, we've got to, um, my job is up to adapt. I mean, the bottom line is I've got a mortgage. I've got two young children, yeah. got a bleeding dog now. They're not cheap either. <laughs> and you know, I'm very careful when I travel. It's actually quite a lonely existence on the road. And yeah. you know, staying in a hotel in Birmingham uh, in January when there's three other people in the hotel yeah. um, is not glamorous at yeah. all. No, and you know, I do my job to the the best of my ability. I watch a lot of football. I try and speak to people face to face within social distancing. But there's funny moments. I went to meet um, Manuel Pellegrini, the old city manager, who's now at Real Betis. Yes, yeah. And he doesn't do many interviews. But I'd interviewed him 15 years ago when he was at Villarreal, and then he ignored him when he came to England because he went to City. <laughs> and then he came back on my radar. He's at Betis, and he'd obviously been at West Ham. And they said, look, if you're going to do it face to face, which is what I like to do, you're going to have to have a COVID test. So I had another COVID test. And there's been times where I've had one a day or that many. Yeah. And then Real Betis said, is it okay if you do the interview outside? I'm like, you're asking me if it's all right to sit outside in the sun in one of the best stadiums in Spain and talk to Manuel Pellegrini for an hour (laughs) from Manchester. Of course, it's all right to sit outside in the sun, <laughs> and he and he was good and did the interview. Um, you know, it's, it, it was open. He's managed Real Madrid. Managed Real Madrid. He's, he's a big name. Yeah, and I try and get original stuff. That's that's what I try and do. Yeah, original stories is is what I try and get, and it's not always possible. And sometimes your editors, yeah, you know, they do say go and join the press conference and do this and that. But mm. I try and do the original stuff. And it. Obviously, you were talking about Pellegrini there and mentioning that you avoided interviewing him uh, during his years at City. Obviously, you're a massive Manchester United fan. It's it's in your family because your your great uncle played for the club in the 30s and 40s. Like, just how important was Manchester United in your household growing up? It was big. I mean, my mum's from Old Trafford, and mm. I spent the first five years in Stratford, behind literally a mm. mile behind the Stratford end. And all my family play football. So I'm like the, the black sheep of the family in some ways because I'm, I'm about the only one who doesn't, hasn't received money to play football. Mm. I, I've paid to play. And, and I still play now, pay veterans football, but I didn't have the, the levels of the other people in my family and, mm. and never was. You know, I wasn't rejected at 12 or 14 or 15. But playing football has always been a big deal in, in my house. But from the age of three or four, I was watching my dad play around the north of England mm. at non-league grounds, and I absolutely loved it. I, You know, them small non-league stadiums with stands that had two or 300, 400 seats, to me, they were like my Maracanã or my Bernabeu. And yeah. me and my brother, we'd, we'd climb up them, we'd climb up trees behind the away ends, well, away ends, the ends. Mm. And I loved it. And after the games, we'd listen to the football results in the car or the coach on the way home. And I was got a football every week from the, from an, that early in age because my mum wanted a rest and my dad would take us to football. And I didn't actually watch United live until I was 10. And mm. my dad never took me. My dad played football and wasn't a good football watcher. And I had to okay. beg him to take me in. and he probably only took me two or three times in my life. Yeah. I took my dad to the 1990 FA Cup final. I took my dad to camp now in, in 1999. Yeah. And uh, so I was watching, but from the age of 13, I was allowed to go by myself because I live so close to Old Trafford. So I yeah. get the bus, I get the bus through Stratford. I'd pay to stand in the Stratford paddock and then the Stratford end. Mm. And when I was 15, we started United We Stand and, yeah. From then onwards, going to all the away matches, yeah, and, and never really stopped. It's um, interesting you say that because I'd always probably would have thought you went, you, you would have went with your dad or went with someone else. No. So the United we stand, the, the fanzine was purely your perspective 
being kind of in in the stadium, you know, watching the game. Yeah, I'd, I'd been to. I was going to games, um, mm. home games before I started the fancy, and I was going to some away games. And yeah. I can remember being fourteen, going to Nottingham Forest away, paying four pounds to stand on a on a shit terrace, and that was a lot of money. My paper round paid me two pounds twenty a week, and. The facilities were terrible. The view was terrible. And I was thinking, this is not right. And the government were treating us all like hooligans. And I wasn't a hooligan. Mm. And I was quite fired up by it. I was quite angry. Yeah. And I would write letters to football magazines, but the football magazines, they were quite straight-laced. I don't think they were done by people who actually went to matches. Yeah. And I did. And I thought the experience was often, you were bullied by the police, especially in in some place like the West Midlands police were always really strong against football fans. And maybe out of that feeling, um, I wanted to try and give fans a voice, but there were other fanzines around as well. You know, there was Red Issue, there was Red News Mm. and ours was done by kids and and it was terrible, but it, but it got better, you know, two or three years in, it was starting to get itself in shape. Yeah. And nothing ever starts off perfect. No, even my impressions were terrible. You know, <laughs> I, I always thought, how? When did you think that, that you, you had a talent for doing it? Uh, it always just kind of starts when you impersonate family members at, say, weddings or birthdays or christenings, communions, the whole lot. And then, kind of, what started it was football impressions. And then actors came along and then boxers. And at the start, they were terrible. You watch some, you'll find some of my work on YouTube from 10 years ago. And it's awful. It's so bad. I look back at it and I cringe, but I also think, do you know what? You have to work. You have to constantly work and improve in your craft. And like that, you said with, with the fanzine, you know, it started off, obviously, you know, you were 15, you were pretty, you know, you're pretty young at the time, but then two, three years and getting used to, you know, putting the fanzine out, it gets better and better and better. It's just a, it's, it's a thing in life, I suppose, you know. Yeah, practice makes you better, definitely. Yes. Yeah. How long does it take you to get a voice? And and I know I'm being a journalist in, it's fine, it's fine. Do, do you see somebody and think he or she's going to be easy or he or she's going to be really difficult? Um, yeah, you, do you know what? You're correct in, in that stance because some of them, the ones that are easy could take a day to learn and perfect. But then some I, I noticed could take weeks, months even, you know, to actually get that pitch perfect impression. Who are you Just, most proud of? Which ones do you think you do best? And who do you need to do work <laughs> on? Um, I don't think my clop is the best. I think I just kind of come in with a few, no, for sure, I come in with, with a couple of sentences. Yeah, okay. A uh, little bit of that, you know. The idiosyncrasies are they're not there, you know. Uh, but uh, my one of my one of my pre, one of the ones I like the most, my favorite Man United related impression was always Louis Van Gaal. I was going to say that. That's when I first became properly aware of you, <laughs> and I knew you were doing some gigs with some of the yeah. former players. But that, that was Hall. it was just a comedy period. I think as a for me as a Manchester United fan, he won us the FA Cup, which was great. But I just thought he was box office in terms of his interviews, the press conferences, everything. And I, I just remember always watching him uh, week in, week out. And I thought, what will he say this week? That's absolutely outrageous. You know, it got to a point where it was uh, crazy, you know, and he'd fall to the ground for the Arsenal game. So I, one of my favourite impressions, and I miss him so much. <laughs> I wish he'd come back. I honestly wish he'd come back. I don't think he's going to, though. He's a mad character, and I'll tell you a couple of stories about him because he didn't do stuff direct face-to-face with journalists, mm. but he would do sort of back-channel stuff. So I could yeah. always get to him through through one of his close mates. So how do you find out who Louis van Gaal's close mate is? So in 2015, United played in Bruges. Mm. And I'm in the press room before <clears> the game. And I hear who I think is Louis van Gaal. <laughs> and it's not him. It's someone doing an impression of him. And, oh. it's, and it's not you. <laughs> and this impression to me sounds amazing. <laughs> and I start talking to this guy. And it turns out he's one of his best mates. He's known him all his life. And he's a very posh Dutch man. <laughs> and he's quite well known, this, this gentleman in Holland. Mm. And we kept in touch. And he, he sort of learned to trust me. Yeah. 
and to put me in touch with him and to give me information. Yeah. And he would just offer Van Hall's perspective, usually at times when things were very, very difficult. Mm. And then he put me in touch with him and I'd email him and you'd like email him. And I didn't know him well. Like I knew Ollie when Ollie was a player. Yeah. And Van Hall really didn't do many face-to-face one-on-one stuff. So I wasn't doing all the press conferences. And, and Van Hall, like, even within the last six months, I've been told off by him in an email. You know, he sort of <laughs> writes to you. He writes the emails himself. But he, he definitely writes them himself. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a character. It was a he shame was. it didn't work out for him at, at United, but we, we can thank him for Marcus Rashford. I always say that, you know. I'm just going to try and find one of his emails as, as we oh, speak. Oh, definitely. We, we, you, while you're looking you, for that email, we had a story as well from, uh, I had Jan Agafjortoft mm. on the podcast and he had a story about Van Gaal uh, being interviewed in the tunnel. Yeah. And he said about UEFA, he said, I don't want UEFA, fuck UEFA. He said to Karen, the, the Karen, who looks, Karen looks after the players and the manager, I don't want to interview with UEFA. <laughs> <laughs> but he he said he chased them down the, the the tunnel. Jan, he said this is an opportunity to get Van Gaal, and he says I think you owe me an interview, uh, Mr. Van Gaal. And he goes, why is that? He says you gave us twelve Eurovision <laughs> points. Norway gave Holland twelve Eurovision points in last year's Eurovision, <laughs> and he actually stopped. He said, okay, I'll give you an interview. Where's <laughs> my last email from him? Was just. <laughs> There's been a few, right? Dear Andy, so you can do the impression after this. And this is me saying to him that he should do an interview with me. And he's like, (laughs) I don't have to sell me. I have enough offers, exclamation mark. You have to wait your turn. And certainly when you have it, let let it pass your turn. Regards, LVG. (laughs) (laughs) How'd you reply to that? I think he's. (laughs) Yeah, a character. And he made us smile. He did. He did make us smile. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, the football wasn't the best, let's be honest. (laughs) But uh, no, it was. No. And then he lost his job because of that. And. Yeah. You know, by the end, by the last six months, it was horrific. Yeah. And you're getting these, these stats of people. One of my mates sat in the, the East stand at Old Trafford, the old K stand. Mm. I think he said something like, I've not seen a goal at my end for four months from open play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is Manchester United. Yeah. This shouldn't be happening. I'm sorry, whichever way you look at it. Plenty of three o'clock games, I remember. Three o'clock kickoff games on a Saturday. And it would be nil all after half time. And maybe it'd be a one nil in the 65th minute and that would be it. And, and I don't doubt he's a good person. And he was massively successful at Ajax and at Barcelona. Mm. And I know people who lived near him when he was in Spain and they spoke well of him. I've spoke to loads of Man United players about his time and you get a really mixed picture. Yeah. You know, you, I'm not going to name him because I don't think it's yeah, fair. Yeah, of course, yeah. But one of them was a, a senior professional and he was two minutes late for a, a team meeting mm. and he got an absolute bollocking and he's like, I'm sorry. I don't don't yeah. need this. I'm, I'm yeah. He's a straight lad. He wasn't someone who was terminally late. Yeah. Another felt he was manhandled by him. <laughs> so you just get these mental stories. Of, <laughs> yeah, you get crazy of, 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 of what he was like. But I, from his perspective, I think he felt that United were getting more players than they did. But he spent a lot of money, mm. and that he didn't have the players to implement his ideas. Yeah. And maybe every Manchester United manager since Ferguson has, has said the same thing. So whose fault is that? The manager's got to take some of the blame. You know, yeah. he got two he got two years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, I'm happy it it ended in glory with the FA Cup. It was a the probably one of the best moments in, in the post Fergie era with the Europa League win in two thousand seventeen. Oh, it was great with Lingard as well, getting that winning goal, you know, uh, United true and true. It was a pretty shameful way, A, the way that he was sacked, and I'm sure yeah. United have got the regrets on that. Mm. And B, United fans who booed a manager after winning the FA Cup. I normally, I'm not shy to criticise mm. online fans for being ultra-critical, ultra-reactionary. Yeah. But that day, inside the stadium, mm. 
a sizable number of Manchester United fans booed their manager after he just won the FA Cup. I think that was pretty poor. Wow. United fans got so many positives to say about United fans, but that definitely wasn't the finest hour. No, absolutely not. And you're right. I, I actually, I wanted to kind of talk about the the topic of kind of, I suppose people being reactionary online. And I'm, I'll admit, I am so guilty to it. I, I am. I, I, I mean, I reacted about Ole after the Champions League exit. Now, I wasn't doing any hashtags, none of that shite. I just kind of, I couldn't see, at that point, I couldn't see a way forward. And then I was proven wrong and I couldn't have been happier. I couldn't have been happier to look like a moron because we were top of the league in early January. Yes, we've had a few bumps now along the way, but we're in second place in the Europa League. It is frustrating, but it's a trophy that we're going for. But that is a problem. And, I, and I, I'll admit that I have that issue as well of being too reactionary online. And it's, it's a bit of an issue, I think, with uh, United fans and fans in general on, on social media, you know, ma- mainly Twitter. Yeah, it is mainly Twitter. And a lot of the time it, it's toxic. And I don't think anonymity brings out the best in people. Mm. I think there's several strands there. I think the super clubs, Man United would be one of them, Liverpool, Barcelona. They attract a lot of freelance lunatics. They just do. Yeah. But you know, after that Champions League elimination, I was also fuming. I was mm. also pissed off. Oh, I yeah. was also angry. And I think as fans, you're entitled to feel like that. And mm. it's one way that football is so great because it, it does bring out these emotions. Even yeah. at halftime in the Newcastle game recently, I felt exactly the same. Yeah. And... And yet you're powerless because you might say we, but it's not we. You can't control it. It's basically yeah. 11 men you don't know on mm. a field in a place where you're not. And maybe the frustration comes because you're, you're powerless. I think there's definitely a difference in the stadium compared to online. I've always said that. And maybe there's some cod psychology there. Maybe... In a stadium, you're not anonymous, although you, you can be in a crowd. But if, mm. if you're stood 20 metres away from Louis van Gaal, you're probably less likely to call him a twat because people are going to react around yeah. you. Yeah. Or he could react. I mean, I see people having to go at individual players who, who with some vile abuse and they're basically having to go at elite athletes mm. who have reached a level which is very, very difficult to reach. Yeah. But I too get very frustrated. What what frustrates me? Okay, results, that's part of being a football fan. Yeah. And as a journalist, I've got to try and be objective. And I can be sent to cover Manchester City against Real Madrid and I can just switch off and be objective. Yeah. With Manchester United, I can try. <laughs> Sometimes, and you know, I don't think I've got a bad reputation for being objective. I'll criticize where I need to. Yeah. I'll back up my what I write with good sources, with good information. I'll put the hard yards in to do what a journalist mm. can do. But one thing I don't like is this absolutism that you see. And by that, I mean, Martial is finished. He's gone. Get rid now. Because yeah. at the moment, Anthony Martial is not playing well. Mm. No one can pretend he's playing well. Does that mean he's a complete failure? He's a wanker? He's a flop? No, it doesn't. Mm. It just means he's having a bad time. And that yeah. might lead to him leaving the club. That might mm. lead to... Um, the manager deciding he's just not doing it. I've got to move him on. Yeah. But people make snap judgments and very definitive judgments. And if you listen to these judgments or if the manager listened to them, Manchester United would have no players within one month mm. because there has been times pretty recently where the vast majority have said, get rid of Pogba now. Got, got to get rid. Yeah. And then a mm. month later, a month later, I've got to hold my hands up. <clears throat> well, yeah. What if you had listened and you had got yeah. rid? You can't hold your hands up because you've sold him. Yeah. So I think you've got to be careful sometimes with fan sentiment. Uh, absolutely, people are entitled to their opinion, providing mm. it's not, you know, racist or or threatening. Yeah. And of some of the stuff is absolutely violence where it's, it's it really disgusting. is. Yeah. And these are these are young lads who I think it's a real issue for them, some of the abuse that they get. And Saw one play recently just looking at his phone and just thought, yeah, why, why are you going there? One player in particular actually responded to one of the, 
the main troll accounts on Twitter as well. I'm not naming the player and I'm not naming, not naming the player for privacy reasons. And I'm not naming the account because I don't want to give that account any platform, but it's, you know, you can tell it does, it gets to these players. I've got a good idea who you, who you might be talking about. Um, and if it's, if it's Andreas Pereira, yes, I've known, I've known him since he's been 15. Right. Mm. And he's a good lad. Is he good enough to be a top class midfield player for Manchester United? Doesn't look like that at the moment. It mm. doesn't. Yeah. Didn't look like it for Memphis Depay, but now Barcelona want to sign Memphis Depay. Football can be really cyclical. And at the moment, Andreas, who's at Lazio, he's not getting many minutes. It's difficult for him. Yeah. But there's other times, you know, I've seen him be man of the match at Burnley away for Manchester United. But at the time when he was getting abuse, um, he'd just become a dad again, probably wasn't sleeping. Mm. He wasn't playing well. The team weren't playing well. He was getting a lot of criticism. Now, on one level, if you're going to play for Man United, you've got to expect criticism. You've got to deal with criticism. Yeah. And you're incredibly well remunerated as well. Mm. But I think often lines are crossed. And I think it's unfair when it's someone anonymous. You know, I've seen people like doing a, giving abuse to players where if they said that to them in the mm. street, I'm not going to say the player would knock them out, but... Yeah, there'd be a temptation. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've, I've just yeah. seen these like real mismatches of, of yeah. absolute losers having a go at people whose yeah. lives have not been... If you get to Man United's level as a footballer, you've done mm. a lot of things right. Yeah. And just because you've had three bad games or missed a chance or not done something on a football pitch that someone wants you to do. Yeah doesn't mean that your family needs to be abused. No, it's, and, it's horrible. And, and, and it's definitely an issue. I mean, there were times I did one of my books about United in the 80s and, and Alan Brazil talked about a time walking off the pitch at Old Trafford and getting spat at by his own fans. So it's not always an, a new and only online thing. Yeah. There's always been poison pen letters in the world. There's all, I think football attracts mm. angry, frustrated people as well. Yeah, and I also think it's a release for people. Yeah, I can remember got to watch one of my brothers play, and my brother was the top scorer for his team, and the, the team were a mid-table team, um, fifth level in England, and he was having a really good season. Mm. Played a big derby game away. Three or four minutes into the game, this man was shouting at him from behind the goal, "You effing this, you effing that." Mm. just pouring his anger out towards yeah. um, my brother. And I just thought, this isn't my brother's fault. This is this is an angry man who's just been let out of his house for three hours by his wife. Yeah. And yeah. and he was and he was a prick. Yeah. I looked at him and I went up to him. I said, the game's three or four minutes old. He's the and top scorer. Yeah. And I knew that he had offers to join bigger clubs on more money, but had turned them down to stay. Mm. And the guy, <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't articulate anything because he was yeah. a prick. Yeah. He was just, and I just said, there's a human there. He wants to score a goal for your team, just like you want him to score a goal for your team. Yeah. And, and he, he, he was flummoxed because he'd been yeah. challenged in real life. I, I kind of, I have a funny story with that, which is similar enough, but it ends up being, I suppose, nice in the end. The first ever game at Old Trafford I went to, and I'm sure you were there, I think everyone was at the game, was Man United, Real Madrid, 2003, the 4-3 thriller. <clears throat> and I remember there was a, we were pitch side, so my, my uncles would have had season tickets, so I went over with my uncle for that game and excited as ever. I'm 11 years old and, you know, going to see, I mean, what, what better game to see and your, your first game at Old Trafford with all of these superstars on the pitch and um, there's this lady screaming insults at Brazilian Ronaldo. You know, the the fat jokes, the effing this, effing that, you're useless, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. Just everything, you know, everything under the sun. Obviously, there was no, no racism, no racism at all. But she was just screaming insults at him, you know. And then he scores the hat-trick and the woman in front... I think it was her boyfriend or her husband and they stand up and I think everyone, you probably remember this, everyone clapped him off the pitch. <laughs> and I think I remember him saying, oh, just, she says, I said all those insults to him. I said, I came back and bit, and bit me in the face, but just, you know, 
it was unbelievable that performance. It was one of the best performances I've ever it seen. Was, and, and it was, and and that Real Madrid team had great players. Didn't quite click for them. It was a Galactico era, and mm. you know, I, I was often going there, writing about them. Um, I got told a funny story about that team by by Carlos Quieros, who was the manager. Oh yeah, and he told me that David Beckham and Roberto Carlos used to sit and chat every day after training at the training ground. Mm. And to this day, he's confused because Beckham couldn't speak Spanish and Roberto Carlos couldn't speak English. <laughs> but he just said, I'm going to my grave trying to work out <laughs> how on earth they communicated in the days before social media. It's not like they could show each other Instagram accounts. <laughs> There's always been... Um, uh, football is... And going to the match, you let out the tension, you let out the release. Yeah, I get all that. I don't. I don't mind that. I like the edge. I quite find it funny when there are songs against players. And even I spoke to Ander Herrera last week after the PSG Barca game, and he said he even misses the insults. Yeah, I, I get that, mm. but I don't get racism. I don't get. Yeah, I don't get some of the abuse. It's horrible. And. I know one or two of the people who've who have seen abusing people and I think Yeah. I know you. I know what your life's like. Yeah. And you are nobody to yeah. be calling out this player because yeah. I could say publicly <clears throat> some things that you've done. But of course you can't do that. And the minute you have a go back at people, oh yeah. you can't do that. you can't have a go at me. Yeah. It's a weird the psychology of the whole thing is and the is, is really social weird. media accounts it's just so dangerous like I when, when I heard about the abuse that Martial and Twan Zabi were getting after the Sheffield United game and when it became cu- uh, public on Sky Sports everyone was covering it BBC I decided you know what I'll go and check his Twan Zabi's Instagram again and I just went down to see the comments and still they were still writing racial comments it was just that's horrific it's horrific and, then, and they're I, all they're, as you say they're all anonymous they're, you know, anonymous profiles just created. And, you know, twice a year, someone will say something to me that's below the belt or against my family or whatever. Mm. I say, look, come and meet me. Yeah. Come and meet me. I'm at Mm. any game. Meet me. And once a year, yeah, okay, all right. They never, ever, ever show up. Yeah. And I'm not going to assault them. I'm going to, one guy was having a go at me recently because I, I had the temerity to um, tell the truth in about a transfer that was not going to happen. And mm. that obviously disappointed him. Now, what do you want me to do? Lie. Because <laughs> I knew that this transfer was not going to happen. Yeah. And it was a kid who the, the internet said, Man United are about to sign from Partizan Belgrade. Oh, and yes. Checked, yeah. And I checked it out. And my sources on that were the captain of Partizan Belgrade because he used to play for Manchester United. The sports editor of the biggest newspaper in Serbia, because I, I know him. A former Serbian Manchester United player who was exceptionally good. And two different sources at Manchester United. And all of these people came back to me, including three of them on the first day, and said, it's not true. No. So <clears throat> I'm pretty confident in saying this isn't true. Yeah. This guy, what do you know? You're full of shit. I said to him through someone else, Come and meet me and I'll explain how my job works. And I'll show you through my phone all the lines of communication mm. about how I've decided that this piece of information is not true. Mm. And he said, uh, I can't come and meet you, but my brother will. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so- <laughs> because I'm not in that city. I said, well, well I'll come to your city because I'm covering a game there at the weekend. Yeah. And actually, if he'd met me, he might find it quite interesting where I talk through how my job works because it is an interesting job. Yeah. And unfortunately, I can't report the news that people want to hear all the time because that's PR. Yeah. I'm a journalist. Sometimes I've got to say bad things. Sometimes I've got to check out sources. Sometimes the stories you write about change. Yeah. And and people, some people are incapable of taking in that information. Mm. There's a guy having a go at me recently because you're the one who said Kingsley Coleman was signing for Man United last summer. No, I didn't. 
I said that Man United were interested in him and the player was absolutely interested in Manchester United. Yeah. I stand by both of those two points. But that's absolutely. that's the key word. Interested. Yeah. And, 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 and interested enough to make contact as well. Yeah. Not just like, you know, I fancy yeah. you, you supermodel. It's like both ways. There has been contact. Yeah. Look, uh, talk, I want to talk about currently what's going on with um, with United. Uh, I, I just want to talk about a certain player who I think his impact has been similar to that of Eric Cantona and it's Bruno Fernandes. Um, what, what do you make of the just the stunning impact he's made in the 12 months he's been at the club? Top man, top player. Fortunate yeah. enough to interview him recently, a big interview with him. My estimation of him only went up in that interview. Yeah, He's very self-assured. He knows exactly what he wants and that's success for his team. Don't we all want that? Mm. Don't we all want trophies? Yeah. If Man United had 11 Brunos, they'd be winning the league. Yeah. United need more Bruno class players to try mm. and close that gap with Manchester City, which is going to be very difficult. Yeah. I remember five minutes into his debut against Wolves at Old Trafford, ironically a nil-nil. He was doing things I'd not seen a United player doing yeah. the six months before that. He was... He was direct. He was going on goal. He was mm. making himself available for the pass. He was, he was just far more direct than any other player because mm. uh, there was still a bit of a hangover from that pass, 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 Jose Mourinho, pass, yeah. pass, 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 Louis van Gaal. His statistics are incredible and I worry that he'll get so good that he'll think, if he doesn't win anything, mm. I, I want to move on. You know, yeah. normally someone from Iberia would say, I want to go to Barcelona or Real Madrid. Actually, Barcelona and Madrid are struggling for money at the moment, so yeah. I don't think they could afford Bruno. Yeah. And I think that's why why we see David De Gea staying at, staying at Old Trafford. But no, he's, he's been Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's best signing. Mm. And I think, you know, he speaks all his languages. He's played in Italy. That served him well. Mm. Uh, don't have anything bad to say about him. Yeah. No, he's, he's fantastic. And more, more to come from him. I think as well, what's so unique about him is, I mean, he, he could have a pretty bad game, but he'll always pop up with something. He'll always provide something. And, and Cantona did that, you know, week in, week out. Yeah, Eric's, Eric's now living in Bruno's favourite city, Lisbon. And yeah. uh, you saw the recent game against Newcastle. I don't think that Bruno played particularly well, but... He scored and set up one. Yeah. And his stats are, are, are brilliant. He's, he's delivering. I think United needed more players to deliver. Mm. It's all right people showing their, their showreels of their greatest moments. He's delivering pretty much all the time. Yeah. And it's really noticeable when he doesn't play well. The team yeah. really because of it. Yeah. Oh, I love that insatiable demand to play, play, play. Mm. I've also got a bit of sympathy for him moving to a country a month before it goes into complete lockdown. Yeah. What about his family? Yeah. No. Yeah. One, one former player's wife described the life of a, a footballer in Manchester as like living in a golden prison. And, yeah. you know, his family's got to try and integrate into the community, mm. get to know people as well. And money doesn't buy those things. No, absolutely not. No, no, you're spot on there. And obviously, Currently, I want to just talk about, you know, uh, the season so far. I think it's been a decent season. I think we're seeing the the progress being made by Solskjaer, um, even though it's stupid um, reaction from me in uh, in December and, and a few other people, obviously. But um, no, the progress is being made. Um, do you think he's Do you think he's going to get to that to that level? of say where the Man Cities and Liverpool were in the last, where, where Man City are now and say where Liverpool were the last two seasons. Do you, can you I see think, that happening? I think he's making future? progress. I think this season to be considered a success, he's got to get more points than last season. Mm. A, cup, a cup win would really make a difference. Mm. An FA Cup win, a Europa League win. Mm. Um, we're still getting these ups and downs. His team have got to be more consistent than they have been. You weren't the only one who was going mad after the Leipzig game. Mm. Some people I know, mates of mine who I really respect, were like, you've got to go. And then a month later, this is brilliant, we're back. And I just replied to one of them, wait a minute, you said he had to be sacked. 
36 days ago. Mm. What if United would have sacked him? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I got a bit emotional. <laughs> so yeah. that brings me back to, to an earlier point. But if things aren't going well, criticism, constructive criticism is absolutely valid. And if you mm. Manchester United don't play well, and that West Brom game was, was awful, the Sheffield United game at Old Trafford, that was a free yeah. result. Um, but before that Newcastle game, one win in five, that's not good enough. And yeah. Manchester City have pulled away. I'm not skirting your question here, but I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody to catch Manchester City, given yeah. the way they're funded. Yeah. And yeah, I wrote yeah, a piece so. on Friday. I worry that City and PSG are going to pull away. Because from, from everything, yeah. United, United have got money. United can spend money this, this year. Could United go for a 100 million player? I, I seriously doubt that. No. At a club <clears throat> who's been losing £4 million every time Old Trafford has not been able to, mm. to stage a game. Now, City, PSG, they've got that benefactor model. United have got a model where you've got owners in America taking money out of the club. So that's far from ideal as well. Yeah. I don't think United need anybody to own the club. The club's big enough, like Real Madrid is, mm. to be owned by its supporters. But then I see Real Madrid going to Saudi Arabia trying to get money in. And that's yeah. probably the only way out for, for Madrid, for Barca, is to, is to get money because they're really both really, really struggling. Yeah, big time. I think Oli, um, I mean, he's got, to, he's got to prove himself. He's got to, got to win trophies. We mm. can't be doing this in two years' time saying a trophy will be good soon. That won't be good enough. No, we can't. We can't be talk talking about progress in, yeah, in two years' time. Definitely not. And, and we're talking a little bit of a low ebb at the moment because City are pulling away. Mm. But I don't think there can be a 31-point difference to the top this year either. I think United have got a pack more of a punch. Yeah. Got to get 10 points more than last season. Mm. Try and win a, a cup competition. Mm. And buy a better player in the summer and continue to move out yeah. the players who aren't featuring who are earning a lot of money. And then, you know, there are other reasons for optimism. I'm, I'm encouraged by the youth system. Mm. Um, yes. And, and I think, you know, I know the ownership is a massive issue at United, but I think it's a pretty well-run club. The, I think the yeah. club have done really well in, in these COVID times. Mm. I see other clubs really closely and some of them are just horrendously run. Yeah. And... We speak today, United is second in the league. I would have accepted that at the start of the season. Yeah. And you might say, well, how the mighty have fallen. Well, United have fallen. You can't pretend otherwise. Mm. We've got to get yeah. back up. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, maybe if Guardiola decides to move on from City, that'll make Because <laughs> he's a brilliant manager. Yeah, absolutely. All I always said at the start of the season, it was always a case of, you know, having a stab at challenging for the title. You know, definitely. But Andy... Um, listen, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, pal. And um, hopefully I'll get to see you again at Old Trafford when, when things are back to normal. Hopefully have a bit of fun, few impressions at Hotel Football. That's where I'm always... Anytime I go, I, I, it's, it's Webby. Darren Webb is always getting me to do the little gig before the game. Couple of impressions. <laughs> I, I, I miss the match day so much. And yeah. I've been lucky enough to go to games when there's no fans and it's crap. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going there for work and it's just, yeah, it's just not the same. And why would it be the same? And uh, the, the, I, I just miss the match days for, for not just the football reasons that happen yeah. in the 90 minutes. There's a whole community. You go to a game and I'll go hours before the match like you will. And we'll have our lads selling United We Stand on the street. Mm. And you get to know your regular readers and they come and have a little chat with you. Yeah. And that community is really important. And every football club has got that. It's not just about trophies and glory, glory. Because if you're an Oxford United fan, you're never going to get that. Yeah. And just getting people out and interacting in real life, the songs, mm. the atmosphere was getting into a good place with the work that the Red Army were doing in the Stratford end. Yeah. The, the, the team was starting to improve uh, and, and I love fan culture I've written extensively about fan culture mm. yeah we started this podcast with me saying that I've been in Bucharest it was to write about fan culture yeah and, and I really miss that football isn't a TV show going no. to football matches is really important mm. and I know that the technology now allows for incredible coverage 
on on the television, but you it's cannot be being in a stadium and forming your own opinions and just seeing what catches your eye. Mm. And you see the game in a different way as well because you yeah. can see everything. Yeah. You know, professional scouts don't scout on a screen. They go to the games. It's like it's like the cinema even as well. They're trying yeah. to release the movies on, on streaming services and it's just not the same. Well, <laughs> I took my daughter to the cinema last night for the first time. She had to be bribed. Uh, she had to, can you get me popcorn and a Fanta? <laughs> and some uh, Harry Bows as well. So I took her, she's 10 years old, just really nice. Yeah. Just to turn your phone off, get off, a, get off a little screen. Yeah. Go to the cinema with your dad and let's yeah. watch a film about a subject we know nothing about. And, mm. you know, my, my dad didn't really do that with me. So I thought it was... Yeah. And, and also support supporting the cinema, handing over cash, supporting yeah. these people. Because if Absolutely. you don't, if, if your whole life becomes consumed by online and you only buy clothes from mm. Amazon, you're going to yeah. lose the things you love. Ah, yeah. No, 100%. I agree. There's nothing better. You know, you know I suppose we, we include United We Stand in that, but I'm thankful that so many people have supported us. Mm. Yeah. And I say, look, people like print, maybe because it's a bit different from, from online and what we do is a bit different, but, you know, if you don't support these things, you, you, you'll lose them. And there's different ways of consuming football. And there's so much out there. There's a lot of rubbish out there mm. as well. But be interesting when things get back to normal. But seen some pretty encouraging signs the last few days to get fans back. If we could get fans back at the end of this season, I'll yeah. meet you for a pint in Gdansk for the uh, Europa League final. Yes. <laughs> that was a dream scenario. Absolutely. Going to another city, thousands of United fans there. Maybe I'm being a yeah. bit too optimistic, but you're allowed to dream, aren't you? You never know. Yeah, you're allowed to dream. There's no harm in being optimistic, especially during these times. Definitely, pal. Andy, look, thank you so much for coming on, bud, and I'll see you soon. Take care, mate. Cheers. Build your own unique bets and get the odds instantly with Betfred's Pick Your Punt Builder. Corners, cards, goal scorer, and more. They've got them all. Download the Betfred app to build your own unique bets with instant odds. 18 plus begambleaware.org singles only pick your punt builder is available on selected matches at betfred's discretion visit betfred.com promotions for more information and for full terms and conditions